So glad to be here again um, in our study of Ephesians. Ephesians is a great book. It is a rich book, a lot of jewels that are inside of a small, small book, uh, only six chapters, but yet packed full of information, packed full of things that we need to know, packed full of practical things in life. And so Paul has been telling us our place in Christ and God's ultimate plan for us for these first three chapters, and we have reached the halfway mark. Uh, I like to say for those who aren't in the room or listening by podcast or listening uh, by Facebook or YouTube or whatever means you'd like to listen to a sermon.net or Roku, whatever you're doing, we're glad you're here, uh, and we'd like to welcome you here to Encounter Church, and we're so glad that you took the time. Uh, to be with us with our study, and I believe that God has some things that are very relevant and powerful for us today. Uh, and we start at the halfway mark, starting at chapter 3, and today we talk about unity in Christ. It's important for us to talk about unity. The Bible covers every topic that you could ever think of. If you have any topic in life, if you'll just go to the Bible and simply go to the Word of God, you will find the answer in which you seek. The Bible's not an irrelevant or an outdated book, but the Bible itself is a book full of life and full of truth. It is a living, breathing word that God has put in place for our good. And as we start today in Ephesians chapter 3, we see Paul in a familiar setting. Paul wrote many of his letters and his uh, epistles from prison. Uh, he wasn't on a bed of roses, but Paul is in prison, and he's still working for God. If you look at the book of Acts, chapter 28, starting at verse 16 through 28, you would see that Paul is in a very precarious position. He is not in a place of comfort. He's under house arrest. And even in this situation, he saw God's greater purpose in his life. He's still working while in a highly stressful and a gloomy situation. Paul is not standing behind a pulpit, rather he is sitting behind the prison door in a house with an armed Roman guard. Paul is not in a very nice place. The things that await Paul aren't nice, and you would think that Paul would be saying, woe is me, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You'd think that Paul would have a thousand other things to deal with or to think about, like preserving his own life rather than what he's doing, but Paul is sitting down penning a letter to write and tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to know because we see that even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of turmoil, that Paul has still fulfilled his mission. Uh, he was going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, God's called us to reach all and everyone. He's called us to evangelize for the sake of the gospel. That is not a yesterday thing. That is not something that people just did back in the day, but that is something that's very relevant for us, that we have a treasure. The Bible says that we have this treasure now locked in jars of clay. What does that mean? That God has given us the treasure of the gospel. He has revealed to us his sacred gospel, that he has come to, to redeem mankind through the blood of his son, and he has entrusted that to us. Us. He even commissioned us to give that grace and that message of grace to all believers. If you see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says, Go therefore into all the nations and preach the gospel into Judea and to Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. And then he says, Lo, I'll be with you now and even to the very end of the age, which means that it's not just for those people for which he is speaking, but those people who are before the end of the age, which would be us. In other words, that he's promised that if we speak, 
spend time to share his gospel of grace and to get the message out that we would never be alone. So although Paul might look like he's alone inside of a prison cell, Paul is never alone because God is with him because he's in purpose and on purpose. And because of that, I want them to put some questions on the screen if they got a chance to put those up. And, and those are questions that we need to be asking ourselves. If Paul is able to operate on such a high level, knowing that his life is about to end, knowing that things will not bode well for him, but he's still focused on the gospel. The first thing I'd like you to ask is, where has God placed me? Why is that important? Because although Paul was in prison, Paul was still placed in a position of prison so he could spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody repeat after me. My mission field is where I live. My mission field is where I shop. My mission field is wherever I am. A lot of times we like to abdicate the thought of missions and say that if we can say that we'll give to people way across the seas and way in other spots, that it requires us not to have to do anything else. But no, God is requiring more than your money. He is requiring your sacrifice, and he's asking you to share this gospel with somebody else. So the first thing I have to ask is, where has God placed me? And then what are the limitations of my situation? Paul was in jail. What's your limitation? Do you not have enough time or think you have not enough time? Do you have not a large social structure and you don't know that many people? What are those things that you figure that God has placed you at a place? And I've come to tell you that God does not do anything by accident. You are where you are by design and intent. And God has placed you in the earth for such a time as this to do his will. God has placed you here to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I ask you a question. What are you doing with the place that he's placed you in? What are you doing with the field he's given you to sow in? And if you have limitations, which we all have limitations, that third question says, how will I work to overcome those limitations? Paul can't physically get out to anybody because there's a guard at the door with a sword. And although he knows he'll meet that sword, he's not an a hurry to meet that sword just yet because he has more work to do. So what does Paul say? Because I cannot be physically there. I've got a pen and I've got parchment and I will find a way to get the gospel to people however I can. You might not have a large social structure, but you can take a kindness card and when you're sitting in the grocery store, stop and hand one to somebody and say, hey, God loves you. I want you to check this out. There may be a word on here for you or God loves you. Can I pray for you? There are ways to over come every inability. Well, I'm older and I don't have a, a large influence and I'm retired and I don't go anywhere. Well, that's an excuse to go walk and go to the park, go, go and do some exercise, do something and get out and meet new people. My daughter and I were out this morning and she wanted to finish up what we had done at the gym. We didn't get to finish yesterday. So before I did work, I said, come on, Haley, we'll go and we'll get your last two sets in. On the way inside of the of the church a lady looked at our tag and said you guys originally from mississippi i said yes we are and she just started up this random conversation now had i been any old uh person just going about their normal day maybe i would have said 
ma'am, I'm in a hurry. I really got to get to work. I'm just doing this to make my daughter happy. I really don't have time to stop and talk to you right now. But I stopped and I conversed with her. And as I began to converse with her, and she said, if you were down there, why did you come all the way up here? <laughs> and I said, it was for ministry. It was the pastor's church. Okay, where is your church? Where, where is it? It's between 11 Mile and Campbell. It's right uh, 11 and 12 Mile on Campbell. It's right there. I know that sign. And I said, hold on, wait one minute. And we ran to the car. I grabbed one of those kindness cars and I said, here you go. Check us out. At some point in time, we'd love to see you. That only took a couple more minutes of my day, but that may open up a pathway to get somebody the gospel. That person may be listening tonight. And if you're listening tonight, I'm so glad that you are. But we never know what the impact is going to be that's going to be had from what we do to make a difference from Christ. We have to become less us-centered and more God-centered, which will make us more people-focused. And so if you ask the question, how will I work to overcome these limitations? The number four question and a very important question is, how will I stay focused on ministering the gospel through everyday living? Paul is not behind a pulpit, but yet what he wrote sitting there waiting for his head to be chopped off eventually. is so powerful that it's affected millions of people that he never got to see it affect. Hmm. Let's read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 3. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the ministration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by the revelation as I have already written briefly. Paul is saying, I am not just the prisoner of the Romans, but I don't mind being a prisoner of the Romans because I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And wherever he wills me to be, I will choose to be there if I can be in the will of God. Paul had an opportunity to be able to be set free. Paul was accused of some things by the Jews, but Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul could have went his way. The people that were going against him had no case, but Paul chose to appeal to the emperor. Knowing that he was probably heading to certain death, he did not have to do that. He could have walked away. Why? Because he would rather fulfill God's purpose and die than live a fruitless life. He knew what God had called him to. He knew that God had called him. He called all of us to spread the gospel, and he knew his ministry was to the Gentiles, so he's happy to be able to do that. And I'm going to go ahead and read verse 3 through 6 because these are powerful verses, 4 through 6. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has been now revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and the prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I've got something to tell you. It's a mystery, a musterion. In the Greek, it means, which means a doctrinal mystery, a mystery that God has hidden from us, not just because he seeks to hide it, but because it wasn't the right time to reveal it. You can't reveal everything at one time. We already know that God intended to save the, the Gentiles. How do I know that? 
I know that because if I go to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1 through 7, we hear a prophecy from Isaiah talking about how Jesus will come and save the Gentiles. If you have that, would you pull that up for me? Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1 through 7. And it says, listen to me. You islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb and has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword and the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel for himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, that's Israel, and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Wow. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who, has, who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of the rulers, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. We see through Isaiah that God's ultimate plan, which was revealed, was that he would allow the Gentiles to be saved through Christ Jesus. It's written plainly in the scripture, but what God had done, he had created a nation of Israel and everybody else was separate. And God had said, come thou from among them and be ye separate. Come out from among them. But what he had not revealed is that at some purpose in time, he was going to reconcile Jew and and Gentile and bring them all together. There wouldn't be a Jewish church and there wouldn't be a Gentile church. That wouldn't be, a, a, we love Jesus, but we're too different and you stay over there. Paul is saying, I am revealing the mystery that God intended all the time to bring these two together. And as we've come into the church age, we see God's plan revealed. This plan is for one undivided and glorious church. The Bible lets us see that Gentiles will be saved, but we also see that God goes a step beyond that. He has erased the line between Jew and Gentile. He has made one big family. And although we haven't got there, we'll get there next week. You hear Paul say, there is now therefore not Jew nor Gentile, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. Why? Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. He is preaching a wonderful message of unity. And this revelation is important for us to know. And it's encouraging to know. Why do you know? Why do you think it's encouraging? It's encouraging because it reveals this particular truth that just because we can't see God's plan for our life doesn't mean he doesn't have one. We should work faithfully and trust that his plan will be revealed when the time is right. 
The plan may be unfolded in our day to the living activity and obedience to the Holy Spirit. It may be revealed just in us doing a day-to-day thing that we normally do, but God is calling us to do it through his glory. And because we are sensitive to the Spirit, he causes us to meet somebody or speak to somebody we normally wouldn't speak through. And his purpose can be lived out in our normal activity in obedience to the Spirit. It may be revealed much further down the line. What do I mean by that? Just because it doesn't happen today or in your lifetime, don't think yourself not significant. Many of us won't plant because we feel like we won't live to see the harvest. Amen, lights. As they used to say when I came up in the Baptist church, we feel like my time is gone and I don't have much time left. It's for the young folks. And then we think that we retire. But God said, be ye faithful, not unto full retirement age, but be ye faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of life. We are until the time we expire required to live a life that will draw people to Jesus Christ. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not happening. We should be able to rejoice just in planting the seed. Paul said that this way, some plant, some water, but God brings the increase. If you have that, pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Is this helping anybody today? It says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Hmm. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, but they do have a purpose. And they will reach, each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service and you are God's field, God's building. What he's saying is you need to be able to work without worrying about who's going to get the credit. Because if you be honest, we're sitting in a building and not one of us has laid a brick on it. We're living in somebody else's labor that they never got to see this day. They never got to live until 2021 to see what was going to happen. But the labors of love that they gave to spread the gospel has ensured that even after they've gone home to be with Jesus, that the gospel is still being spread. And never could some of those people who built this building would have imagined that not only is it being spread in this building, but it's on the internet and it's going across the world and anybody who wants to can have access to it when they begin to lay brick upon brick and begin to lay mortar upon mortar and what if they had said nobody's ever going to know that we ever did this and they gave up on what they were doing God has given you a purpose and there are people who need to be brought to Christ So I want you to ask yourself some questions. This is our second set of questions. What are some specific ways I can plant seeds to open the door for the administration, as Paul calls it, of God's grace? It's good news that God is not an angry God, but he is a just God. But Jesus has come and satisfied the necessary wrath of God. And because of that, if you will believe by faith what he has done, you can be saved. That God's grace is there for you. And you don't have a requirement of what you can do because you could not save yourself. Come to him. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hmm. Another question. 
Am I waiting to see God move before I participate? You know, some people are bandwagon type people. They won't move or volunteer until the church is full of people and they can be seen helping people. But the people that do that, the Bible says those who do stuff just because people can see them, they have their reward. But he says what you do in secret, the Father will reward openly. He appreciates those that will work while things are going good, but he appreciates just as much, if not even more, those who will work when the conditions are less than ideal. Those who will preach when there aren't a million people to listen to. Those who will preach when there's not popularity to be had. Those who will give somebody a track and give the gospel to somebody and they will never ever know that it happened. But God will write a soul's name in heaven. God sees that it's significant. God sees that it's necessary. What if my destiny is legacy and not the victory? Wow. What if it's not my destiny to see everything come to fruition? But what if it's my destiny to leave a legacy of the groundwork that I laid? John the Baptist never hung on a cross for anybody. But Jesus said there will never be one as great as him before or after. Why? Because he paved the way for Jesus and said, I am not the one. But I come to tell of the one, make straight for the way of the Lord. And even when his disciples started getting in his head, you know how your friends get in your head and say, man, uh, the church down the street got more members than, than we got. We need some more lights and more smoke. What are we going to do? John, Jesus, Jesus' followers, they're baptizing more than people. And John says, I must decrease that he must increase. He knew his purpose. He knew when he was supposed to be in the forefront, and he knew when he was supposed to be in the background. And may it be our prayer to say, Lord, whether it be out front or in the back, let me know what I need to do for your glory. It may be that I sweep the floors of the church. It may be that I take out the trash. It may be that I help the homeless. It may be that I do many things that nobody ever will see, but you are recording them in heaven. And I refuse not to do what you've called me to do just because there isn't popularity to be had. Can I be excited about handing the baton to others who may finish the race? Because we all will win if we work to do our part. You might not have as much time on the earth, but you might have money that you're sitting on that you can help with the gospel. And you can use that money. Or you might not have as much money, but you have time that you can give for the gospel. And God is looking for you to give that time. You might not have either of those, but you have a little time to pray. And you can give those prayers for the gospel. But do not seek not to give what God is calling you to give. And do what he's calling you to do. Because people can't see it and you won't get the credit for it. There will be many people that will never know your name. Although many people may not know the name of the preacher that led Billy Graham to Christ, there are millions of people that are glad he did. Hmm. Verse 7 through 9. I became a servant of this gospel by the gifts of the grace of God given me through the working of his power. 
Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is pointing out that God's grace is the key. He lets us know that God is working in spite of his ability. Paul, some believe, who spoke more than 14 different languages. Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul, who was a highly intelligent and a high, highly, highly gifted person. This person says, I am the least of these. Because if you look at what Paul was able to accomplish, you would say it was not humanly possible for him to be able to do what he did. But the only way he was able to do it is to realize that no matter how gifted he was, he could not do it without God, except the Lord build the house. Those that labor, they labor in vain. If God's grace doesn't grace you to do it, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. I would rather have grace than talent every day. I would rather have the Holy Spirit than charisma any day because the power of God is what it is. And the gospel is the power of God to, for the salvation of everyone who will believe that although none of us make the mark or fit the bill, that God is willing to use an available vessel. That should encourage us also because we can do away with toxic shame and always feeling like we're not good enough and we're not worthy enough. Romans 8 and 1 says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who walk, uh, who are in what? Christ Jesus. Go to verse 2 if you have it. It says that for those who walk not in the flesh but after the spirit. In other words, for those who rely on the power of the spirit, condemnation is not there for you. But I'm weak. We look like grasshoppers. That doesn't matter. You are depending on yourself when you make statements like that. But when you depend on God, you say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength? God uses those that he purposes. It is not based on our merit or on our worth. It's not based on our value. Well, how do we open and unlock the doors of this grace? And I'm going to give you three small things and we'll be leaving today. Those three things are number one, everybody say availability. availability. Number two is humility. humility. And number three is pliability. What do those mean? Availability. Let's look at 1 Peter 3.15. If you'll pull up 1 Peter 3.15. Everybody, let's read this so we'll make sure that everybody's in, in tune with what we're saying. Let's read. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. He's saying, have availability. Always be ready to share the gospel. If you see somebody crying and the Lord puts it on your heart, a simple, would you mind if I pray for you? 
You don't have to give them a track and take them through the plan of salvation right then unless the Lord tells you to do that. And if he does, by all means, do it. And if you feel like that, that that needs to be done and they're not saved, I would encourage you to do it. But be ready to respond and to give an apology or apologia uh, from the Greek, which means that's where we get our word apologetics, being able to tell people why you believe what you believe and to give it to people with gentleness and meekness and love. Don't be on Facebook arguing. Don't be on YouTube arguing. They're not going to listen to you while you argue. Be respectful, but at the same time, be firm and confident and that you have the truth of the gospel of grace and what you believe has the power to save souls. Isaiah 6 verse 8. Let's read that together. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Will you be like Isaiah? Will you be available and say, here am I, send me? A pastor or a deacon or, or, or a church clergy or whatever the case may be can't do everything that's necessary to make a church function. They can't see every sick person because they have lives and they can't do everything themselves. But there are other people in the church who can make meaningful connections with people and say, I know it's not physically possible. Only Jesus can be in every place at the same time. And if we've got 15 people that need attention, there's no physical way that one or two people can do it. But guess what? I I like to talk to people. Maybe I'll get out of my comfort zone and make a connection with somebody that I know needs prayer in the church, that I know needs a listening ear, and I'll be that community and that person to lean them on. Why? That's how we bear one another's what? Burden. That we take care of one another. You would say, but that's the pastor's job. No, it's not. If you read the Bible, you would know that's not the pastor's job, especially in Acts chapter 6, because there's a problem in the church that the Jewish widows are being taken care of, but not the Greek widows. And the, and the disciples, the pastors of the church say, that's not our job. Our job is to do the gospel and spread the gospel. We don't stop to wait tables. We don't stop to do that. You go and find seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and charge them and bring them back to them, us, and we will lay hands on them and commission them to do work. Did you know that the word for deacon and minister are pretty much the same meaning? If you look at diacono or ministrare, uh, they are the same. It just simply means servant, which means that our model of church is not really God's model of church. Our model of church is to come, pay some money, raise our hands, and let one person do all the work till they die, and then get another person. I'm not talking about in our church. I'm talking about in the church at large. But God's version of church is where everybody is involved, and it's everybody is doing ministry, and everybody is checking on one another, and everybody is seeing about one another. There should be nobody concerned that the pastor doesn't have time to see me because somebody else should be seeing you and praying for you and you should have fellowship and koinonia to the point that you don't even miss the presence of one person. 
That doesn't mean that pastors don't go out and pray and love on people. I love to do that. I'm a personable people, a person, but at the end of the day, it is all of our job to be connected and care for one another, to have a loving church fellowship with one another. That's what creates unity. Where Paul talks about in Ephesians that I want you, chapter four, that I want you to keep the spirit of unity within the bond of peace, that we are all connected and concerned for one another. It doesn't cut down the level of care, but it increases the level of care because one person can only give one level of care, but a hundred or a thousand can give more. The Bible says one man could put a thousand to flight and two ten thousand. So if we all work and do our part, the gospel of Jesus Christ can be given. People can be taken care of. Needs can be met and people can find safety and security in the body of Christ. Not only do you have to have availability and ask yourself, where is God going to use me in the grocery store, at the gas station? But number two, you have to have humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 8, going all the way through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 8 and going through 10. He says this. Let's read it together. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. Let's read that last part together. That is wonderful. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You ever seen somebody struggling? Or you hand, especially guys, where the world's worse about that, you, you hand them a jar of pickles and they don't want to admit that they can't open the pickles and they, they're just sitting there struggling and they really want to hit it with a hammer but it'll break the thing. And then somebody that's, that's smaller, finally, after you give up and you get out of the way, they roll over and smack the bottom of it and turn it and, and pop the crank. But guess what? It couldn't be done until the person who thought they were strong got out of the way. Because they were relying on their strength, and their strength wasn't what was necessary to solve the problem. Your charisma, your intelligence, your self-ability is not what's required to solve the problem. God's placed that there to be an aid and a help. But first, you have to rely on him. And your strength, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you get out of the way, he will start to move. When you try to do it on your own, you are getting in the way. And he's not going to push you out of the way. You've got to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Mm. A dependence on God is humility. That's what real humility is. Humility is a dependence on God to finish the work and produce the necessary outcomes. A willingness to submit to God's agenda despite the circumstances. 
Humility doesn't really mean what we call false humility, where people say, you sure did do a good job. Oh, well, I didn't do anything. That's false humility, and you're actually dishonoring God because God gave you the gift that they're allowed, and you just, just say, well, praise God for the gift he gave me. But humility is realizing that I can't do it unless God gives me the ability. It is a dependence on God that says, give me this day my daily bread. I'm not going to just store up enough bread so I don't need you anymore, God, but I have to come to you every day for strength. I have to do my devotionals and my prayer and my quiet time with you as much as I can, if not every day, close to every day, because I am dependent on you. I can tell you the truth, that unless you truly learn to depend on God and to move your abilities out of the way, there are some situations that will destroy you. I've learned myself that if you try to fight your battles, you won't win. But if you just say, God, I don't have the ability to win this battle. The battle is not mine. It's yours. Don't you know that God will show up and he will fight for you? Humility is our ability to say, God, I need you. That's why he says, unless you come as a child. Why? Because child, children have dependence. They depend on somebody for what they need. And he wants us to have that dependence on him. Last thing, pliability. Everybody say pliability. Pliability is another word for flexibility. For those of you who, who don't know what pliability is, and that's okay. It's to have childlike faith and trust that the Holy Spirit will help us to overcome the challenges we face in spreading the gospel of grace. In other words, that when we decide that we're going to live in God's purpose, when we decide that we're going to follow the gospel, and when we decide we're going to live for God, but opposition comes, that we still have enough flexibility to move the way God's moving. What do you mean by that? That sometimes things are going to come against you, and you've got to just realize that I've got to be flexible. Everybody say flexible. We can't do church like we did in 1975. It doesn't work. Saying God but the methods are outdated and they're antiquated. They don't work anymore. You don't see anybody unless you go to North Michigan riding around in a horse in a buggy. We've got to change our methods, but we don't change the message. We've got to be flexible enough to say, Lord, if this is the way you're moving, I'm really not comfortable with it. I really like to keep it the way it was. I really like to sing all the same old songs I've always sung and go to church the way I always do. Why I got to look at church on the tablet? What do you mean? Why, 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 why do I have to do this? Why do I have to give and, and, and give by texting? Why can't I just give you a, a, a paper check? But And we don't know these things, but when God comes in and we see that a pandemic hits the land, you begin to see the value for what change can what? Do. Amen. You must be flexible to be able to move with the spirit and where God is leading. And also you must be flexible that when God has let you be faced with opposition, that you'll be able to rely on the spirit to be able to figure out how to respond. Let's look here. At Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 through 20. Let's read it. But when they arrest you, stop. That, that's probably not a, that's not a good 
onboarding speech right there. I, I, I don't know about you, but if I was signing up for a job and they said, but when you get arrested, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't make it all the way through employee orientation. But Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And the first thing he wants to tell you, but when they what? Arrest you. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That's where humility comes into play. If you're not humble, you'll fight your own battles. When you are humble, you say, Lord, give me what I need to say. Teach us to pray for we know not what to pray for. Give us the words to say. We must be pliable. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12 says the same thing. And as we close tonight, verse 10 through 13, this is exciting, at least to me. I don't know about you, but this is exciting that we'll always have usefulness in the kingdom of God. We'll always have purpose in the kingdom of God if we decide to use the usefulness and the purposefulness he's given us. Verse 10 says this. His intent was that now. Hmm, rulers and authorities. His intent was that now through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose. Which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God. That is awesome. With freedom and confidence. I ask, therefore, not to you be discouraged. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, when he becomes to talk about rulers and authorities, the rulers and authorities were actually spiritual powers. They're not earthly powers. And we see this again when he talks in Ephesians chapter 6 about the rulers and uh, the powers and authorities. Uh, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities. And, and many times that's meant and indicated when you see that in the Bible to talk about sometimes evil authorities, uh, principalities and things like that. Uh, and in this instance, Paul doesn't indicate which one it is. He does in chapter 6. So it may be some of the ruling and heavenly counsel that he has there also in heaven. But the point was that he is allowing this to happen the way it's happening because he wants to reveal his wisdom to the world and to those authorities. He said the rulers in heavenly realm so they can see how wise he is. Because guess what? God knows the end from the beginning and he's letting them know. Have you ever seen somebody at all the time like Muhammad Ali? Muhammad Ali was a good fighter. Muhammad Ali would go around. He had what you call the rope dope And all the time, he would look like he was losing and he'd just be on the ropes and he'd be back and forth and people would be hitting him. But what he was really doing, he knew he had the ability at any time to knock that person out. But he's really playing with them is what he's doing. He's making an art form of it. And after they've tired themselves out, after swinging and missing all those times, then he comes out, plop, 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 game over. 
And you see his artistry. And what he's saying is, you really didn't have the ability to beat me anyway. I'm the greatest. I was really just playing with you. And it was an art form. I wanted you to do your best so people could see. Even when you did your best, I was just playing with you. I'm sitting here playing on the ropes while you're sitting here swinging as hard as you can. And all that still wasn't a match for what I just did with you. Because I fly like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And God is looking at the powers and the enemy and saying, you tried to take a third of the stars of heaven. You tried to turn mankind against me. But in my wisdom, I let it be revealed that the whole time I had my son sitting in the background on the ropes. Behold the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Even before the world was created, I had already made this plan, Satan. You had lost before you began. Wow. That God is revealing his power. That he had sent his son already to die for us. It was already slated and destined to happen before the first man was created. He said slain before when? The foundation of the world. Before he even made man, he knew Adam was sin. And he did it anyway. We see God do this with, with Job, don't we? Can't you imagine God just laughing saying, but have you considered my servant Job? He already knows what's going to happen. And you would think that Satan being the spiritual being would know that God already knows what's happening. He wouldn't keep taking the bait. It's kind of like when you watch Looney Tunes and you see the coyote and the roadrunner and you say, every time I turn on this cartoon, it's the same thing. You're going to get an anvil on the head. Why would you keep doing the same thing knowing you're going to get the same result? And we see, have you considered my servant Job? I do it, but, but you, you got a hedge around him. Well, go right ahead. <laughs> And he does all his damage, and he says, you're done? Now I'm going to give Job double for his trouble. Appreciate it. He reveals his all-knowing wisdom. He reveals his all-majesty and power and his sovereignty that it is he who is in control. God is sovereign. The Bible says our God is where? In the heavens. And he does whatever he pleases. We serve an all-powerful God. And through that, he has made the redemptive plan of salvation for us. And he has used that to reveal his wisdom to the spiritual authorities, the Bible says. But this is my favorite part of it. I don't know about you. But it says that he's given us complete access that we may approach God. I grew up in the country. I watch my brothers as they kill, kill geese and things like that. I can't go around geese to this day. I don't know if you ever lived on a farm, but anybody who's ever lived on the farm sure, certainly is not in animal sacrifice. <laughs> That's not my type of thing. I'm not the type of person who would have to want to go get a sacrifice all the time for all the stuff I did. But that's what you had to do to get access to God. And not only did you have to do that, but you couldn't go yourself. You had to go through another priest. And now God has given you complete and total access to him through the blood of his son. You ever went to some place and you want to complain to the manager and you can't find the manager? Everybody's keeping you from having the manager. And, and, and you finally say, give me the corporate office because I need to go to the corporate office. Now you got to write a letter. Now you got to do all these things. Now you got to explain yourself four or five times on the call queue while each person listens to your complaint. And after you finish pouring your heart out and they say, well, hold on, let me transfer you to another department. And you've been transferred five or six times. That's very frustrating. Wouldn't it be great if you could just hit a button and it said CEO? 
Well, you don't have to go to your friends and complain about the problems of life and get redirected to another friend who still doesn't have the answer and get redirected to another friend who doesn't have the answer or redirected to a pastor or a deacon or a minister who may not or may have the answer. If they have it, great. You can go straight to the CEO. The Bible says in, that God has allowed us to come boldly before his throne. And they had a song when I came up that said, Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. The line is never busy. Tell him what you want. You can call and talk to Jesus at any time. There is a sociable time when you call your friends. If you call them after that, they won't be your friends anymore. <laughs> but you can pick up the phone all the time and call Jesus. I got pain in my body. I can't reach the pastor. I can't reach the deacon or the trustee. Brother Bob is busy playing golf and he won't pick up the phone. <laughs> well, since I can't get Brother Bob to pray for me, I just pick up the line and call the healer himself. There is a bomb in Gilead that heals the sin sick soul. I get Brother Dave, but Brother Dave is somewhere taking pictures of beautiful landscapes at his job and all the stuff he needs to see, and he can't answer the phone right now. I'm in trouble, but I can call Jesus. You can call Pat, but then he needs to sleep. Call Jesus. <laughs> Pat said, I'm up all night. Brother Denny said, I'm not. <laughs> Don't call Pat. <laughs> We heard Jaylis give a beautiful testimony as I closed about spinning around in the road. And I had a similar situation when I was a teenager and there was nothing else to save you and nothing else to stop the car. And you just called Jesus. One day I was riding and my pastor was talking to me about listening to godly voices uh, and things like that. And he doesn't respond like everybody to this. I'm not saying this is normative, but this is just what happened to me. So for those that listen to the podcast, this is what happened to Willie Berry. This is not necessarily law for everything. And I was saying, Pastor, Pastor Miller, I want to talk to you. He said, yeah. I said, I got all these CDs. They cost a penny. And I've been listening to all this music, all sorts of music. I, I love music, and I'm a musician. And none of it really was godly music. I had a few Mississippi Mad Squad CDs, a few little Fred Hammond, but it was mostly R&B and stuff like that. And I was on my way to a choir rehearsal, ironically, in Jackson, Mississippi, to play. And we were coming around this little turnpike, and it was raining. And I said, God... I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I don't know if I'm spending too much time in this music. I would like to know um, if I should spend more time with you or should I just stop listening to this music? And I kid you not, I was driving down and it wasn't even raining, but the road was slick and all of a sudden my car lost control. And I started spinning and spinning and spinning right after I asked the question and I said, Jesus, because it was, it was a long way down and I was scared. And I said, Jesus, and my car stopped immediately. And I heard that voice hit my heart and say, whose name did you call? And I'm not telling you to do this. I'm not telling you not to listen to your music. But at that time, this 18-year-old boy took every CD he had and broke it in half. <laughs> I said, I get the picture. I get the picture. But what I'm trying to convey to you is that when you call Jesus, you have direct access. And you don't deserve direct access. I don't deserve it. 
direct access. But through the blood of his son, Jesus, he's given it. Somebody say access granted. Lord Jesus. Hmm. To Paul, he says something that's kind of quirky in that last people. He says, don't be, don't really be upset that I'm in prison. And what he's really saying to them is, if I didn't share the gospel, I wouldn't be in prison. But if I didn't share the gospel, you wouldn't be saved. <laughs> so rather, you can glory in the fact that I'm in prison because it's for your good. Prison is a necessary inconvenience, and he's happy to suffer for the cause of Christ. So this brings our last two questions as we close. Whether you're listening to this by podcast or wherever, I want you to ask yourself these questions. What convenience might I give up so I can serve Christ better? Number two, now that I have direct access to God, do I make the most of that access? You have access to the CEO of the universe. How often do you pick up the phone? What is the Holy Spirit saying to your heart today? That's not original to me. But I do want you to ask yourself that question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I encourage you to use the access that he's given you. Be available, be humble, and be flexible for what he's going to do for you in these coming days to be used. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your opportunity to share your word, to study your word, God. And I pray that all those who are under the sound of my voice will find their purpose and hope and calling in you. Thank you for this word you are given. And I so look forward, if you do, Terry, to the words that you're going to give us going forward. Help us to find our place and our significance and to choose calling over comfort, to choose purpose over pleasure. For our pleasure should be to serve you. We give you praise and we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for access, granted. Amen. Somebody give God.